Thank you to our worship team. That was awesome this morning. I thought it's not very good every day, but I really enjoyed that. Good morning, everyone. I've been distracted by this thought for the last, like, 25 minutes. Is calling donuts rolls, like, a thing? I've never heard that. I'm still taking my uh, Minnesota as a second language classes. Um, I feel like I understand it better than I can speak it. Um, Yeah, text this morning is out of the Gospel of John, but uh, as we begin, if you would please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your gospel. And at this time of year especially, may we celebrate it. But Lord, may that be something we do every day, uh, to rejoice that there is hope through Christ, that there is forgiveness through what he has done, Lord, and the life that he invites us into. I want to pray for our event this evening. Father, I pray for people to, to come to that, perhaps people who have no connection or very little connection to Cornerstone, Lord. And I, I pray for those people. I pray for um, anybody who's on the fence or who doesn't believe in the gospel to be convicted and convinced that Jesus truly did die and raise from the dead and that that is our hope for eternal life, Father. I pray for this week as we get ready for Easter, different events that we have going on on Friday evening, but, but also just everything that we do in, in our week this week, Lord. I pray that we may do it to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. It's Palm Sunday today, the Sunday before Easter, and we'll be looking at an event in the ministry of Jesus this morning that is traditionally referred to as the Triumphal Entry. It's when Jesus enters into the city of Jerusalem. It's an event that's recorded in all four Gospels today. As I mentioned already, we'll be looking at it from the Gospel of John. And one of the things I want to focus on this morning as we walk through this text is some of the history of what was happening at the time. Many of you, especially if you've been in church for a while, might be familiar with the different expectations that people had about what the the Messiah, what the Savior of Israel, what he would be like. And this gets mentioned often, how in Jesus' day, within these oppressed Jewish communities, many expected a conquering king, a military leader, just like David. Someone who would liberate the people and redeem them from Roman tyranny. And while we hear that, again, probably especially around this time of year, I don't know if we always truly appreciate it as we study these passages. Because the political tensions of the day really color these events in our text this morning as well as in others. And so I think a little bit of background is helpful in understanding the events of this passage. We're in the 12th chapter of John, and John 11 Jesus raises a man from the dead named Lazarus. Jesus raises people from the dead in each of the Gospels, but no story is as detailed or dramatic as the raising of Lazarus. However, there is significant fallout after 
Jesus does this miracle. John 11, 7 and 40, uh, 11, 47 and 48. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council. The chief priests were the ruling council, a group called the Sanhedrin. They were the Jewish government. They were to express their concerns over Jesus. Unfortunately, this group did not recognize Jesus for who he was. And they said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. When they say, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, that is undoubtedly very ironic to us as Christians. Ironic to the point of foolishness. Tragically ironic. But they failed to recognize Jesus for who he is. From their perspective, the ruling council was actually concerned about Jesus growing in popularity. Verse 48, where they say, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And really, that's, that's telling. Because their concern is for the political ramifications. They'll lose their place, referring to the temple. And potentially, their nation, their land. They might even lose their own power, lose their own prestige in the process. Again, the relations at this time between the Jewish people and the Romans was not good. Around 70 years before the events of our passage, the Romans had annexed Jewish territories into the Roman Empire. There were taxes the Roman government sometimes meddled in Jewish practices and politics. There were differences of opinions on faith. The Jewish people were monotheistic. The Romans believed in many gods. There were different cultures. It was a sore subject. I don't have time to get into all of the history. But there were lots and lots of little skirmishes in the early years, and they only intensified. And so with what Jesus was doing, he was growing in popularity, and the leaders saw Jesus as a threat. As our passage continues to develop in, in chapter 11, they see only one option after a little bit more discussion, 1153. From that day on, they made plans to put him to death. So that's the fallout of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. That miracle is the catalyst which sets the wheels in motion for the local authorities to conspire against Jesus for the purpose of putting him to death. And really, that's the gospel. To bring Lazarus to life, that leads to Jesus' death. Jesus gives life at the expense of his own life. He died so that everyone who believes in him can live. John 11 says that after this event, Jesus temporarily kept a low profile. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. As chapter 11 winds down, it sets the scene for Passover. 
Passover is one of the most important holy days in the Jewish calendar. An annual festival to celebrate God's deliverance for the Israelites from Egypt. It was a holiday where Jewish people from all over the region of Judea and surrounding regions would travel into Jerusalem. Passover was significant for several reasons. Part of the significance is that it was a remembrance of a time that God redeemed his people from an oppressive tyranny. On the first Passover, the Jewish people, the Israelites, were enslaved by the Egyptians. Pharaoh would not release them. After a series of plagues and wreaking havoc on the Egyptians, Pharaoh still would not relent. And so a final plague happened. The firstborn of all the non-Israelites was struck dead. As an act of faith, each of the Israelites was to sacrifice a lamb and to take some of the blood of the lamb and place it essentially on the doorposts of their homes. Those who did this were passed over and their families were spared. Undoubtedly, There are many overtones of the Passover holiday and the crucifixion story of Jesus. Again, for people who have been in church for a long time, many of them are readily familiar to us. The sacrifice of the lamb points to Jesus as the ultimate and perfect sacrificial lamb. The blood points to the blood of Christ that was shed for sin, just to name a couple. And it is certainly significant That Passover was the time of year when Jesus died. A festival celebrating a mighty and miraculous act of God on behalf of his people points to the true Passover. God with us, rescuing his people, saving us from our sins so that we could be passed over from condemnation. While Passover celebrated the Israelites being redeemed from Egypt, in our section this morning, there's the question of if Jesus is a new Moses, the new leader who's going to redeem Israel from another oppressor, Rome. And so the political scene was at a fever pitch. In the century after Jesus' death, the Jews and the Romans actually fought three different civil wars. Thousands died, huge numbers of casualties for the time period or any time period. And in the end, the temple was destroyed and plundered. More taxes were levied on the Jewish people, simply for being Jewish. And they were essentially wiped out of Jerusalem, either through death or being forced to flee to other regions of the Roman Empire. And with all of that, we come to our section this morning. And as we look at this section and and look at it, in light of what happens and comes after it, the main idea this morning that I want to focus on is this, that Jesus lived and died so that we could live. In Jesus' day, as I've already said, at the time of Passover, you have Jewish people from all over the region traveling to Jerusalem for the holiday. And with that, we come to verse 9 of chapter 12. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. 
So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus, Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. It's interesting that John adds that there was also a conspiracy against Lazarus. Because he was a living, breathing testimony of the work of Christ. So they needed to stop him too. Verse 11 refers to the event of raising Lazarus. On account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. And many were in Jerusalem. Others who hadn't seen the event had heard the teachings, heard the stories. Verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So the crowd has heard that Jesus himself is coming to Jerusalem for the Passover. At least, that's what they think. But there's another reason why Jesus has come to Jerusalem. It's so that he can die. But the crowd doesn't know it. But Jesus lived and died so that we could live. Excitement is in the air. Again, these communities were very poor. Life was difficult. But this gave them hope. We're so used to freedom in our country today. But throughout history, it's been the exception more than the rule. Tyranny and oppression reigned so much of the world throughout so much of history. And for the Israelites, they were in the land that they felt had been promised to them. And so they're out to celebrate Passover. Who is this Jesus to prepare for Passover? Verse 13. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. They took palm branches. That's why, again, we refer to the Sunday before Easter as Palm Sunday. We talked for a few moments about the historical roots of Passover. The Old Testament gives various instructions about how to celebrate Passover. But it's interesting because palm branches are not not part of Passover and the Old Testament. They're not part of the festival. So then why do they have palm branches when Jesus came into Jerusalem? Once again, I think part of the reason why the historical context of this passage is helpful because it has everything to do with what we've already been saying. It's the political climate of the time. The palm branch had become sort of a national symbol for the Israelites by the first century. Before this Palm Sunday, the last time that the Israelites had had freedom in Jerusalem, they had fought a war in the mid-first century before Christ. After that war, when the leader of the Jewish people came into Jerusalem, the people waved palm branches. Later on, their coins would be stamped with the image of a palm branch. Again, it was important as a symbol of national pride. So you have palm branches associated with a military leader coming into Jerusalem. And the people say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. 
This verse is hopeful. But their hope is misguided. Their hope is revolving around their misconceptions of what Jesus, in their view, should be like. And so he rides through the crowd. And what would you expect this great liberator to be riding through the crowd on? A horse, of course. But he doesn't. Rather, he rides in on a donkey. Verse 15, the end of verse 14 says, And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. John quotes from Zechariah 9 for this. Jesus is, again, he's coming in fulfillment of prophecy. Looking specifically at Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So again, the people are expecting this great military leader. But it's interesting because the following verse in Zechariah paints a very different picture than what the crowds are hoping for. Verse 10 says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow should be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So it's saying that this coming king will actually take away the chariots and horses from the Jewish people and will bring peace. But that seems to be lost on this crowd. They had other texts that they misinterpreted and thought a military revolutionary was going to be the one leading them. And so Jesus is riding through on a donkey. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all say that while he was doing this, people were laying their cloaks down on the ground as the donkey rode through, as Jesus was entering the city, really they were rolling out the red carpet for Jesus. And the people say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. It seems that they would have said Hosanna more than once, almost like a chant as Jesus is riding this donkey through the crowds, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna is an Aramaic word. It means save us. And again, it would have been very familiar to these people at this time. It's used in Psalm 118.25. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Psalm 118 was part of a group of psalms that were sung every year at the Passover. Think about how we have certain Christmas songs that we sing every Christmas season. Not surprisingly, some of the songs that they sang at this time of year dealt with being liberated from oppressors. And the crowd chants, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. It's interesting that they speak of kingship with Jesus. John focuses on three groups of people who were in the crowd that day, beginning in verse 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first. 
But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done by him. I'm sorry, to him. They didn't fully grasp the significance of what Jesus was doing at the time. It wasn't until after Jesus had died, raised, and been glorified that they were able to truly see and appreciate the significance of these events. Verse 17. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the second group are those who had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead or those who had heard about it. And the passage concludes by talking about the Pharisees. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. The Pharisees are not enjoying the festivities. So you have the disciples who don't fully absorb the magnitude of the significance of who Jesus is, the crowds who thought he was this great liberator, and the Jewish ruling authorities who were set out to destroy Jesus. People had a view of Jesus that was too small for the glorious things he was preparing to accomplish. It's interesting the expectations that people had about Jesus. The things people thought Jesus was. But really the things that people thought Jesus was, he was. Just not necessarily in the way that they were thinking. They thought Jesus came as someone to liberate the oppressed. He did. But it was to liberate all who believe in him from the oppression of sin and condemnation. They expected someone to be a revolutionary. Jesus was that. But instead of helping fight one government in one place at one time, he preached a message that has impacted kingdoms and continents from all over the world, people of every tribe and tongue and nation. They thought they would have victory, but they thought it would be with the sword. But his victory was with a message of peace and love. And by teaching that life is found and losing it and living for God. They wanted someone to give them back their land. He came to give an even greater place, heaven. They wanted someone to be their king. And he is a king, the king of kings. And his rule is one that will never end. He lived to die so that you could live. Jesus came to earth and lived a life without sin. He lived a a life that made the unworthy worthy. He made the unjust justified before God. He took those whose sin had stained them and washed it away. But it was at the cost of his own life. For the people chanting Hosanna on the first Palm Sunday, they didn't understand that that day was something so much bigger than themselves, bigger than what they wanted, bigger than some battle with Rome but that it was the God who had created the world, who came into the world, who dwelt among his people, and here it is, the Lord riding into Jerusalem. 
And he's coming for one reason, to die. To give up his life. For the disciples not having it all figured out at the time about who Jesus really was. That's really the way it is for everyone who has a relationship with Jesus. We continue to learn. A child can understand the basics of the message of the gospel. You're a sinner, but God has made a way for you to be with him. His son, Jesus Christ, came into the world and paid the price himself. He died and rose so that you can have eternal life through Christ. A child can understand that message. But in knowing just that, there's so much more that we don't know. There's so much more to learn about this man. And the longer you're a Christian the more blessed you are in this world to have the opportunity and this life to learn about Jesus, to grow with Jesus. We never graduate from that. Even though we are justified, made right with God, we continue to grow in faith. Sometimes, things we used to think about Jesus, we look back at and know that we were wrong. And it's important to remember those times. So that when younger Christians might be mixed up in a crazy idea, not to affirm it, but to have the humility and empathy to know that you didn't always know either. Truth should never be a source of pridefulness or arrogance. And there are still aspects of knowing the Lord where we all still need to grow. And it can be increasingly difficult to figure out what's true. With all the things our culture says about Jesus, all the things different scholars say about Jesus, undoubtedly this week networks will be running specials about Jesus, looking at the historical Jesus, talking about the new evidence, that what it tells us about Jesus, different theological traditions, different biases different cultures have. And then you have the arbitrary assumptions that people make on their own about Jesus that have no basis in the Bible, but that's just how they've decided how he must be. I don't recommend that route. Different Christian traditions and different things that they teach, it can seem daunting at times. But just because it's daunting, challenging, doesn't mean it's not worth the effort of continuing to know more about this man. It's interesting, as I think about some of the great figures in American history, there are so many biographies written about people like George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. They sometimes seem to paint different pictures of these men. So many different angles by which historians look at them. And those are just regular guys. Jesus is the Lord. He taught a message that was simple. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But just because the message was simple doesn't mean that Jesus was simple. Just because we know some things about him doesn't mean we have nothing else to learn. The disciples literally walked with him. And they didn't fully understand everything at the time. So it is when we walk with Jesus. For much of my life, 
I didn't really understand who Jesus was. Honestly, I thought he was some guy. Didn't understand what all the fuss was about. The idea of God made a lot of sense to me. But I didn't understand if you have God, then why do you need Jesus? I didn't understand that Jesus is the Lord. That by itself warrants our attention. There are inexhaustible depths to Christ. We can continue to pan for gold for a lifetime. To think about the ramifications and implications. What it means that this man died for our sins. What it means that he is God. And on and on. He died for us. But not just so we can keep going along and doing whatever we were doing before. He died so that we could have a relationship with him. So that we could be made right with God. May that be something we appreciate. That causes us to marvel at the goodness and glory of God. That causes us to examine the weight of our own sin. But also the incredible grace of God. It can be so easy to believe a lot of the wrong things about Jesus. We need to be studying what's true about Jesus, what the Bible teaches about Jesus, what Jesus says about himself. And in that, we see the love, grace, and goodness of Christ. Jesus lived and died so you could live. If you have faith in him, if you trust in him, if you believe in him, Like the crowd said on that first Palm Sunday, may we too say, Hosanna, save us. But knowing that he's the Lord who came into the world, that if you believe in him, he is the Lord who takes away the penalty of your sins. What do you believe about Jesus? Would Jesus agree with the way how you think about him? Does what you think about him agree with what's taught in the Bible? Do you know what he said or taught in the Bible? What the Bible says about Jesus? May we be a people who pursue Jesus for who he really is. Let us not have arbitrary opinions, but to live for the Lord who died for us. Have you trusted in Christ yourself? Hosanna, save us. The crowd on that first Palm Sunday, Hosanna, 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 save us, save us, save us. But many of those same people that following Friday were chanting something else. Crucify. A hopeful crowd, Hosanna, replaced by an angry mob, crucify. Jesus wasn't what they expected. The experts in the Old Testament missed it. The crowds who wanted simply a military leader missed it. Many of us today have a part of Jesus that we might like. Maybe we accept part of who he is. I can be freely forgiven. Hosanna, save me now. But then we reject the idea of knowing Jesus better or acknowledging the sin which caused us to need a savior. Crucify. Jesus talked about feeding the poor. Hosanna. I'll accept that, Jesus. But then we treat things Jesus said about how we interact with the society 
as if that's all the gospel is. Jesus emphasized loving people, Hosanna. But then we discount what Jesus said about how we should live our lives. Jesus talked about accepting people regardless of their past sins, Hosanna. But then we hear that he also said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Crucify. Jesus said we could be with him. Hosanna. But then we reject his bride, the church. Today, as on the first Palm Sunday, we live in a world where people expect many different things related to Jesus. The crowd shouted Hosanna. They thought he was their Jesus. Hosanna on Sunday, crucify on Friday. Jesus came in perfect fulfillment of the Old Testament. He came in perfect righteousness and holiness. God on earth. But God on earth didn't bend to the whim of what every person thought he should be. It is not the people who get to judge Jesus. We don't pick and choose what to accept about Jesus. We don't just hear that he forgives and ignore all the rest. We don't like a loving Jesus and then discount a moral Jesus. Jesus takes us as we are in our sin. And we are called to believe in him and worship him as he is. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, may we turn to you in faith. May we see the the love and grace through your words and ministry and to know that it is that that brought you to the cross, not because we deserved it, but Lord, your glory magnified in the fact that you did it because we didn't deserve it and to worship you for that, to say, Hosanna, save us and to trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.